Welcome back to the Manufacturing Come Up. I'm your host, Malachi Greb. Today we have an awesome guest today, Craig Allrich, and he is the CEO of one of the biggest automation companies in the world, JR Automation, and he spent 25 years at General Motors. Welcome, Craig. Oh, thanks. Looking forward to, uh, to a nice discussion today. Yeah, absolutely. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely for me. I mean, you know, I'm very, I'm a very ambitious person. So whenever I get somebody on, onto the podcast, who's had like a, what I consider a very successful career, they make it to like VP of engineering, CEO of, of a company. Um, and especially when they're to me, especially when they're not the founder, when they, when they climb that ladder and, and, you know, uh, it's something that I don't even know that I could really accomplish. Maybe, maybe at, at this point in time, I, you know, I can climb the corporate ladder, but I think without starting a business, I don't know if I'd ever have the capability to do it. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I'm sure you could. I, I, I know many founders and, and, uh, I think it takes a little bit of ambition and, and you obviously have tons of it. Right. So, right uh, um, I think, uh, I think that's the key, right. Is, is that, that, ambition. Um, uh, I, I certainly never, I never had my eyes sight set on a uh, CEO. I, I never had mm. them set on a vice president. I never had them set on a director. Mm. I, I just went and worked hard every day and, and, uh, and, and every founder is the same, right? Every day you go in, you work hard and, and you're trying to improve your business. I, I was doing the same thing. I, I would say that's probably the biggest part of my success is, is even at General Motors, I thought I was an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. I was trying to do better uh, for the company and for myself and and for my group and and uh, and I think those are the things that led to me being able to climb the ladder. It was not not worrying about whether I could or could not. It was more about mm-hmm. just going in and working hard every day to improve everyone's uh, life. Cause that's what you're doing too, right? As a, as a founder, you, it's not just about you anymore. You, you have a yeah. whole bunch of people that are relying on your, on you, um, yeah. to do well. And, and I was no different. I, even today as CEO of a company, a major automation company, the people rely on me to do well. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's like super, super important. You kind of, you kind of kept it simple and, and said, you know, it was, it's putting in the hard work and is looking out for people and looking out for the company's best interest. And that's so, so powerful in, in any success. And I think it's one of the huge drivers of why I had the success I've had and, 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 and had what I say the audacity to start a company was because like, I just kept doing more things to add value to the company. I learned electrical engineering. I learned risk assessments and how to do safety analysis on robotic systems. And just doing that just to add value is like what gave me all these different skill sets and, and uh, capabilities to be like, huh, you know, I think I could do, run my own company. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, because you, you became well-rounded, right? And, and I can tell you at, at General Motors, I, I, I was, became well-rounded. I was an electrical engineer. I worked as a controls engineer on the floor, program robots, program PLCs all day long. But, but they also, they asked me, you know, hey, can you run our dimensional group? And so I learned mechanical, you know, dimensional engineering. I learned how to, how to do that just mm-hmm. because they said, hey, we don't have a guy here and we need some help. Can you help? 
yeah, sure. I don't, <laughs> why not? Right. And, and then learned a whole lot, uh, doing it, you know? And, and yeah. so I think, uh, that that's another key is, is being, you know, getting that well-roundedness and, and always, again, it's, I never worried about me. Um, it was always about the, my surroundings and the people I was working with yeah. and, and how well they were doing. So when I, took that position again it wasn't well shoot that i'm gonna learn something there i I don't i don't think i ever thought that way i just said heck the company needs it i'm gonna go do it you know this episode of the manufacturing come up is sponsored by elite automation elite automation is a systems integrator specializing in robotic weld cell applications and especially the design and manufacturing of the weld fixture if you have any robotic weld cell needs, you can reach us at RFQ at EliteAutomationUSA.com. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a key differentiator that you'll see, uh, like the individuals that, you know, with, with success, like somebody like you kind of, in a way, like reached organic success. And, you know, some people won't reach that level of success because they have like that mentality of like, this is not my job. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, I've certainly seen that, that before. Right. And, uh, you know, yeah, you, you, you might get really good at what you do, but, but, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's the people that, that have that mentality, um, are going to struggle with, uh, with moving up. And, and, and unfortunately, I mean, I've been around the business for what, 34 years now or something like that. But, um, it, it, it's those people that, that are always saying, how come I don't, how come I'm not getting promoted and how come I'm not, you know, it, and it, it's, it's kind of difficult to even have that discussion sometimes of, yeah. don't be so selfish. Just think about the company and work hard and, and it'll happen for you. You know? Yeah. Cause like that, that, that same type of individual is also the one that doesn't, doesn't really probably care for much criticism. Yeah. Yeah. That's some, usually not even worth, yeah. Having a conversation yeah. around it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one of the one of the huge premises of of this podcast is uh, the come up of how you got to where you're at. Mm-hmm. So at what point in time did you start to feel like, you know, manufacturing was going to be something that you wanted to do? Or was that ever a thing? Were you thinking about these things in high school? Or what, when were your first thoughts of, of entering into this industry? Um. My first thoughts were around finishing my engineering degree and, and then go finding a job, right? And, and to be honest, I never thought I'd be in, in uh, manufacturing. Um, ne- never, I was never exposed to it uh, as, a, as a kid. My, my father wasn't in, in a manufacturing um, type of position, even though he was blue collar. He was tool and die, but, but for a small machine shop. Um, so it wasn't like, like I understood this bigger picture. Um, and so I, you know, I think that, um, the manufacturing just happened. I, I really liked robotics. Um, I had a minor in robotics, a, a degree in electrical engineering, but a minor in robotics. Um, where do you go when you have a robotics background in 1989? The only people that were really using robotics were the automotive. So I applied to all the automotive companies and, and wanted to get a job. And, uh, and so really I was trying to work in robotics that uh, Mm. now that, that being said, I didn't really understand what general motors was doing with robotics. And it, it, it was, I was designing 
feedback loops and trying to control servos. And I was the type of work that I did or the type of stuff I did in school had really nothing to do with manufacturing. It had to do with design, design of robotics, right? I was looking at, at um, how to design a servo circuit, right? (laughs) And and so uh, that's what I thought I was going to go to. It's so funny to talk about it now, but, but it, it, it really was, I didn't, didn't realize I was going into, to, to, look at application of robotics you know yeah i think i think that's like huge that like you don't really have any indication of like what industry looks like and and through like and coming out of high school and into college like you're just blind to what what the end what any industry looks like right not just the industry but any industry really looks like and you you really don't gain that exposure until you know you start start to get out into the industry, right? It's not really taught in, in high school. It's not really taught in college. And to be honest, you know, I'm 10 plus years in my career now. And the number one thing that I found that has been just like super mind opening to having an understanding of the industry is, uh, events going to different events. Um, I think I may have attended like one, like automation manufacturing event, prior to this year and just going, going to this event, like going to our, you know, we traveled and basically went on tour to like, I don't know, like eight, nine, 10 events, something like that. I right? followed you on LinkedIn. I saw, <laughs> I saw some of those videos, <laughs> but like, I mean, just the mind blowing how much, how much, you know, mind opening that occurred and just like understanding like what's going on at this, uh, this level of the industry, like going, like recently just going to Fabtech, like, you know, going there, like I understood fabrication. I kind of understood, you know, and we have a fab shop, you know what I mean? But I still like going into Fabtech had no clue really what, what Fabtech was going to look like. Right. And so like, now you go there and you have an understanding and you see the different pieces of equipment, you see the different uh, companies that are playing in, in those different roles, whether like press breaks or, or, you know, welding robotics or, you know, welding power supplies, you just like a lot of these things, your mind is not open to them until, until you go and attend something like that. Yeah, I agree. You you don't really know what, what's all out there. Even, even working for General Motors for, for 24 years, I, I certainly knew my competition. I, I knew what Chrysler and Ford and BMW and Mercedes and Toyota did. We, that was part of the job was as an engineer and as an engineering vice president and director and all the different things I did there was to understand your competition. And, and, you know, sometimes you copy, sometimes you try to leapfrog, you know, different things like that. But, but, um, but I really didn't understand outside of automotive, you know, how things were done. And I knew every inch of automotive, I, the press area, the, you know, stamping, I knew, powertrain i knew uh you know mm. basically every every aspect except for all of the plastics that came in because we didn't do any of that automation that was all done by tier one and tier two suppliers yeah. so right. i learned that after i left gm though I, I did learn that business pretty well and we do we do quite a bit of that work so it's uh, you know i do understand that that side of the business as well now but but understanding you know pharmaceutical and understanding logistics and understanding you know, mm-hmm. some of the different verticals, it's amazing what you can learn 
out there. And those trade shows, you know, help, right? Go go to uh, Pack Expo and, and see what some of these packaging companies are doing in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, you know, whether it's in pharmaceutical or it's in food and bev or, you know, whatever. It's, it's pretty amazing to see what's out there. Um, always cracks me up now that, you know, now that I'm really exposed to the industry, even outside of automotive, mm-hmm. um, you hear so many people say, Oh, we don't make anything in the U S anymore. Oh, <laughs> you're kidding yourself. <laughs> yeah, we, there's, right. holy cow, do we make a lot of stuff, right? It, you, you know, mm-hmm. just putting eggs in a carton can, can be automated. And it's just so many things that are now that can be automated and people are starting to really open their eyes to it, especially with 3.7% unemployment. You you have no choice, but to figure out how do I do this with, with uh, automation. So. um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, realistically like automation, like you said, automotive has been doing it forever, but like, in my in my opinion, there's still so much manufacturing that hasn't even oh, began yeah. to go automation. Yeah, yeah. Go through many towns in Indiana and see how many are in in building um, mobile homes and things like that. That's that's whole yeah. manufacturing, and yeah. and most of that is done by hand. Yeah. Um, and so there's just you know there's so many industries out there still doing things by hand, um, and and it's just. Uh, that's the cool thing about automation is there's, yeah. it, there's there's going to be a need for a long time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that the only time, I think the only point where like companies, companies like ours are in trouble is if like AI can become good enough where the PLC can just automatically be programmed by like drag and dropping some things. And, uh, even think, then it's still gotta be designed, right? You still gotta, yeah. you gotta design the equipment and you gotta, you got to sensorize it and you know there's 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 so many yeah, aspects to it that have to be done yeah i think it'd easily be like 100 years before we're to a point oh, yeah. where, yeah systems that can design themselves yeah yeah we're 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 a ways away it'll be uh what was terminator where the robots are making robots of course we have robots making robots now too but <laughs> but not quite like that yeah right, right. <laughs> So going back, going back into uh, your transition from college into the workforce, what were some of the things that pushed you to to go to General Motors, and and how did you land that position? Yeah, well, it was the, it was really the robotics that pushed me there. So here, this is this is a really funny story. Um, I get my interview with with General Motors. And, um, and I'm thinking it's because of the robotics. It turns out it wasn't, um, they didn't, they didn't really, um, but they asked me a lot of questions. Penn State, I went to Penn State, um, very theoretical, uh, college. There, there's, there's many different kinds of, of universities out there and, and you'll, you know, get different types of education there. It's very theoretical. And, um, and so, you know, the hands-on aspect of it is, is pretty slim, um, when I got to the General Motors uh, interview, they asked me what what kind of processor do have you worked on, and I said, "Well, I worked on 8088, and I worked on 68,000." And they were, "What is that?" And I said, "Those are microprocessors." And I've programmed, you know, I did a ton of assembly language programming, and and uh, <laughs> they said, "No, no, what what kind of PLCs?" And I said, "PLC." I, 
do you, and they said, do you know what a PLC is? I said, it's a programmable logic controller, but like, no, we didn't learn anything yeah. about a programmable logic <laughs> controller. I, I know what it is. I know what it stands for, but I don't know what, it, what you do with it, you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, I left that interview thinking, ah, I ain't getting that job. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it turns out they weren't interviewing me because of my robotics experience. Um, I was Unix uh, system administrator for Penn State. I ran the Unix lab for Penn Mm -hmm. State, and I understood Unix inside and out. GM was implementing their first Unix system. They had all DEC faxes and and, uh, um, they were putting in their first Unix system. They needed somebody that understood <laughs> Unix. <laughs> and so I didn't go on the floor to begin with. I put in a Unix system. I put in Ethernet. I mean, that back then, Ethernet was brand new. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, pe- people knew what Ethernet was. I knew what Ethernet was, but but we had run, we ran broadband through the through the plant. We didn't run Ethernet through mm-hmm. the plant. And mm-hmm. uh, and so they hired me to 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 put in this, this system to do upload, download, compare, if you know what that is for, for PLCs, right? It, it, today, mm-hmm. you, you just use Siemens software, or use Rockwell's software to, to upload, download, and compare programs. But back mm-hmm. then, they didn't have that capability. And, uh, and so I, I put in this system to interface to every PLC. So I had to do all the networking across the board. But that's what they hired me for was to put <laughs> was to be the Unix system administrator and to put in this whole system to do upload, download, compare of PLCs. And, uh, and then, you know, that's what I did my first year, but, uh, you know, quickly turned into, you know, I taught myself how to program the robots and, and obviously the PLCs, I had to understand, you know, what I was looking at for, um, comparisons, right. Uh, when yeah. we were doing uploads and downloads. So, Within a year, I was out on the floor debugging and troubleshooting. But uh, um, yeah, it was kind of funny. I, they didn't hire me to be a robotic or a PLC programmer or, or a controls engineer. It was to put yeah. in their Unix system. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny how that works out. Yeah. Also, a good point too that like, you know, maybe if if you want a particular position that like sometimes applying for a, a position that's a little bit of a tangent of that position might get you to the position that you want to be. Yeah, in. it did in this case. And well, the odd thing was they, they were looking for a controls engineer. I, why, mm-hmm. why they posted the position the way they did, or, or maybe, maybe they hired somebody for that position. And, and as they were talking to me, they realized mm-hmm. I could put Unix system. Right. I don't know. Yeah. But it definitely, I didn't get hired as a controls engineer. <laughs> it just turned into that over time. Right. What was it? What was the some of the transition points that got you from moving away from from that system to dealing with more PLC and robotic systems? Well, first, I I had to understand all the communications. So back then it was data highway, data highway plus for PLCs to to communicate. And of course, we were sending data over over those. But most people didn't really understand um, networking of PLCs back then. And so Um, I had to understand the networking because I had to communicate to every PLC on the floor and there were hundreds of them, right? There were probably four or 500 PLCs out there. So, so, um, really I think it was that. And then people would ask, Hey, I, I gotta, I gotta send this data from this PLC to this PLC. 
really struggling. Can you help? Okay, yeah. So I'd write their logic to to do all the data transfer from one one PLC to the next, and oh. um, and then you know just slowly that that was starting within six months of being there. I was doing that. Um, they were certainly asking me all about the networking of all that um, of all the, all the PLCs. It was a, it was a big deal, right? I had, I had tons of electricians out running cables <laughs> for yeah. me. So much, much different than today with, with ethernet. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was, yeah, you, you definitely got to be involved in like a super interesting time of data and like how we, how we like transferred data and it, to me, like I, I kind of missed out on that, right? I came into my career a little bit, a little bit later, and then also working with a systems integrator. Most of the th- things that we worked with were new systems, right? Yeah. And so, like, we kind of missed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I got, I got the chance to get my hands dirty and have a couple headaches <laughs> <laughs> working with it, but um, it's like a whole like uh, era of, of technology and like data communication. Oh. That, it was just kind of a short period of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cool thing, I mean, I started on PLC2s. I actually trained on a black box on a PLC1. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that's like late <laughs> late 70s, early 80s technology. We still had a few of those in the plant when I, I started in 1989, right? So, But the majority of our PLCs were PLC2s. Mm. And um, yeah, P, PLC2, there was no, no, uh, no documentation. Uh, you, you weren't working on a, on a computer, you were working on a, a T3 terminal. So these T3 mm-hmm. terminals were, were, you know, just little keyboards right? <laughs> with, with yeah. a little screen, a little black and white screen and, and you, you programmed on there. So way, way different. The technology was so much different. Um, oh, yeah. and, and so, yeah, it was really cool. I, I, I actually, you know, started on a two, um, learned, PLC fives relatively quickly. They were already coming in in 1989, 1990. So, so twos, fives, and then the Control Logics uh, uh, platform came out in '98, I think, and uh, we quickly adopted that. Uh, um, but I also got to see, uh, you know, the the changeover from everything hardwired. You know, when I started, there there were there was no network. So, so you hardwired from, from local IO, it started as local IO. Then we went to remote IO, um, so that you could start to put racks out on tools and not have, not have everything in the panels. And so I got to see all of that. I got to see that whole transition from, from a, from a hardwire based local IO application all the way to to now, you know, running networks and, and running Ethernet IO, um, yeah. I, I got to experience it all. So what, yeah. what a cool, that was cool. That was yeah. cool to see everything from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're even, we're even doing wireless IO now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, I'm, I, I haven't done it, but I certainly, I know my engineers are, are, are out, yeah. you know, doing some of those applications. So um, yeah, pretty cool. Same, same thing with safety. I mean, we, when I started out, there were no fences. Robots oh, wow. were just, all you had was guardrail. Really? And, and yeah, wow. yeah. You just walked right in with the robot. Um, at that time there, you know, the pendants were, you, you, you couldn't read anything on a pendant. There were, they called them top hats and it was a PLC. Um, so, and then a whole bunch of push buttons. And so if you wanted to go to repair, you, you, you pressed go to repair on the top hat and the top hat was right next to the robot. 
So you were standing next to the robot, say, go to repair, a robot would come down and you'd change caps on the robot sitting there next to you. No fencing, <laughs> no, everything moving, yeah. you know, um, yeah, that was uh, all the way up till probably 95. So really? yeah, around 95, we started putting fencing, mm-hmm. 94, 95 time period. Yeah. Uh, we started putting fencing up and then, and then, and then after fencing, then you started to use safety relays and then, and then from safety relays to safety PLCs. So, yeah, that was kind of most of like the modification work and a lot of like the robot cell upgrades that I dealt with throughout my career. A lot of them were replacements due to like safety constraints. Like they needed to make some modification to the cell. And then like, you know, your, your standards are now that if you make any modification to a cell, now you have to upgrade the entire cell, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you have, yeah, it's sun system. Like a lot of these original systems were like their fencing was like chain link fencing. Yeah. And, you know, like a key, a key lock that's a physical key and, and, you know, no electronic locking or anything like that. And so like the whole entire system would have to come down and we'd have to, you know, replace it with like door interlock switches and, and things along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. The old days. So, yeah, I mean, we, we got on that subject of, you know, getting to see a whole bunch of stuff. It was just, it, it was cool to, to live yeah. through, through that. And, and it's going to continue. Like you said, you wireless IO now. And so I think there's some wireless safety out there. I, I know there's uh, a couple robot manufacturers that have wireless pendants. Yeah. Um, so technically, yeah, technically anything that is, um, like CIP safe, you can do it wirelessly because yeah. because Wi-Fi itself also is a is a fail safe technology. So if you ever lose your wireless connection, it's just going to make it, it off. Really, yeah, yeah. It's in an easy condition. Yeah, cool. So whenever uh, you you started migrating more into doing some of the robotics, I mean, did you just spend your whole entire part of your career just like in that robotics side? I did. Of, yeah, did I did. I, I, I spent, um, so I went, I started in a plant in Baltimore and I worked there till 94. And then I, I moved to, um, our, what we called central office for general motors, but it was our central engineering group. And, and basically you were a project manager at that point. You're, you're running mm-hmm. contracts with, with outside, um, resources, right? Integrators. I, I was, I yeah. was a project manager for an integrator and, and giving them direction on, you know, how, how we wanted controls built and all those types of things. Um, and, and so I lost track there. I was, I was getting to, can you repeat the question again? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. apologize, but yeah. So this is like kind of your transition from, from, you know, doing the robotics and then you move. Oh, perfect. Then, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, so, um, when I went to central, um, to, to central office, uh, we had a project coming up, large program, tr- truck program, five, six, seven, seven plants, I think uh, GM had at that time running uh, trucks. So so we had to update seven plants with, with automation, and we were putting in all new robots. Uh, at that time, uh, we bought 3000 ABB robots for that project, 3000. And, uh, yeah. And so it was my job to, to, um, back then you didn't buy a robot and it wasn't, it was ready to program back then you bought a robot and it was dumb. You you couldn't do anything with it. You had to create a a programming environment for it. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so even like spot making a weld spot, I had to write code to make a weld spot in there. So, yeah. um, 
And so it was, uh, it was my job for like three years straight, nothing but those robots. I, I became the robot guy, um, mm. for, for GM. And there were, there was one of me in, in different divisions in GM. So GM at that time had four or five divisions and we were trying to combine all the divisions into one engineering. And, uh, and so I represented our division to come up with one GM standard, one, one way of programming robots, one way to dress a robot, mm -hmm. one way to interface with the robot from the PLC. Um, yeah. I worked on that, on that with a group of, of four other individuals. So I think five years straight, I did nothing but robots. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. So you were, you were like one of the major people that kind of helped develop GM's like programming standard. One of five. One of five. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still in place today. I mean, even, even at that time, we developed the safety gate box, um, all the gate boxes. We developed that team developed at their base. It's basically the same safety gate box today as it was in 1997 when we developed wow. it. A little different, but not much. Yeah. yeah. That's super cool. Like, that's one thing that, like, definitely is always in the back of my mind is like, being a business owner versus like taking like a career path is like something like that to me is like an ultra cool legacy. Like, and I don't know, just like going through that process, being a, you, you, you are the guy that, you know, helped develop the, the GM standard. I mean, to me, that's, that's, that's a pretty big deal. I might be just nerding out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I like to nerd out too, but yeah, no, it is cool. Right. I mean, I'm pretty proud of it personally. I, you know, yeah. but again, you don't get there just because you want to, right? I mean, I worked hard to get yeah. there. I worked really hard. There were there were there were years where I was putting in, you know, major major hours uh, working Saturdays and Sundays, and you know, just because I was a nutcase when it came to to being like, you know, a geeky engineer. I was I was right there, you know. Yeah, yeah, and evidently, evidently programmed. Uh, programmed well enough where they thought your your code was to good enough standard to let's just go ahead and write the whole gm standard for that yeah on the robot side on the plc yeah. side they wouldn't let me touch that but because uh, <laughs> i helped with the gm uh uh hardwire standards all of the okay. all of the panel design standards all of the you know all of that uh, pneumatics hydraulics uh, there was a team of five that did that also that, that started after the robots and mm -hmm. I helped with the hardwire, but they would never let me touch the software for the PLCs. <laughs> we had some really, cause I'm a geek, right? And we had some really geeky guys that, that were way better than me That's writing safe. code. Yeah. And, uh, they did all that work. All right. Well, what was, uh, your position at that point in time, your, your job title? Uh, I think by the time I did the hardware standards, I was a senior engineer, uh, doing the, uh, robot standards. Okay. Um, I was, uh, a technical fellow. GM has a technical path for, for people to, to progress their careers. Okay. And, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's hard without going into a lot of detail, five, fifth level, sixth level, seventh level, eighth level, eighth level is, is a technical fellow. There's only a handful of those people. And I was a yeah. technical fellow, um, by the time I did 
the the uh, hardware standards and then of course gotcha. there were some technical fellows that were doing the software mm-hmm. and and what is what is like position nine and ten look like of that then uh ninth level really really only a handful i mean these are these are your and they're very specialized um but i think we had five in the whole corporation um, mm. in the controls area, right? There's a mechanical area as well. And, and, uh, you know, but in the controls area, I think we had five ninth levels and they were mm. very specialized. One, one was robotics. Um, and, and I had worked with him throughout the, the whole process, but we had one that was just networks. He did nothing but, and at that time, don't forget, we went from data highway and remote IO to device yeah. net to, you know, then yeah. finally to ethernet, but he was working on ethernet and in 2000 he was you know we i had just put in a program for uh control net i had just used control net which you don't even hear that name anymore but um but he was asking my opinion what what do you think about ethernet versus control net and i was like go to ethernet as fast as you can this control net stuff is junk you know and uh, (laughs) and so you know he was trying to get the company to move to ethernet as quickly as possible Yeah, he was like he was like the IT guy before there was IT. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sort of, sort of. Um, so then, like tenth level, what would something like that no, look like? No, no tenth, and oh, it, tenth. I mean it, to get there, it's un- it's called unclassified, right? Ninth is the last level, and then you're unclassified. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're basically a a, a director or higher um, gotcha. there, and I did make it to unclassified, um, and I did I did it. Actually, I was a nine. So they have a nine X, which is technical. You're you're an engineer basically, still as a nine X, yeah. and then there's a nine T that is a manager of technical people. And I oh, was nine X. All the nine Ts worked for me, and I was a nine X. Um, and and so I like the network guy worked for me, and and the robot guy worked for me at, at by two. I think that was around two thousand and three 2004 time period so really all the the biggest geeks in general motors <laughs> worked for the biggest geek of all um, <laughs> in, at general motors uh, d- gotcha. developing standards gotcha <laughs> so uh this this like tier system that you're talking about is this like technical engineering is that what this tier system's for yeah, it's it. So you have you have engineers that that start out at at level five, right? When you're a, when you get hired out of college, you're a level five, and then there's bands within that level. As you progress your career and you get better at at being um, at being a controls engineer, right? So the the first people coming out, they you you give them small projects and you let them go do some small stuff, and mm-hmm. as you progress into sixth level, now you start to have maybe you start to be a project manager of other engineers, right? So you might, you might get a small job. You get the seventh level, you're, you're running big projects. You, you might have a hundred million dollar project that you're, that you're responsible for. Um, and, and you lead sixes and sevens. So now you become a technical lead. They don't work for you, but, but they, they're, they're, you know, their leads. Eighth level is typically a manager. So the manager that they all work for is an eighth, but you can also do a technical route. You can become an AT and that AT is, you know, only a handful of ATs, just like there's only a handful of nine T's. Um, So it's really a progression. It's, it's GM's way of progressing engineers through, through their life. 
Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> no, I'm super glad that you're sharing this because I mean, I think it's great insight for. I'm sure if somebody already works for GM, they probably already know this, but like anybody outside of GM or you know in college, like they can kind of see like what this kind of what this career path looks like. Yeah. I think it's definitely very smart for them as a company to create that tier system and like have like levels of, of to what engineer you are because you know it it, it gamifies things in a yeah, sense right well, and you aspire to yep. something right and then you have yep. you have aspirations hey i'm a fifth level i want to be a sixth level you know as fast as yep. i can get to sixth level i want to be a sixth level yeah absolutely so after you go after you kind of tier through all the all or go through all those different tiers are you now uh, you're now what in an upper level level management? You said like director or something like that, or yeah. So there's typically you know within GM there's probably I'll, I'll just use them as examples since we've been, but uh, um, there might be ten managers of of engineers, and there might be you know underneath of those eights there there might be you know fifteen people in each one of those. Um, that are fifth, sixth, or seventh level working for that eighth level. And then those eights report to a director. Um, so director might have seven or eight eighth level managers that works for that director. Um, and you might have, you know, at, at the time, I think I had 130 people reporting to me total when I was a director um, there. So, and and at that point, you're, you know, at director level, you're pretty much engaged in every program that GM has if, if you're in controls. Same thing with mechanical. If you're a mechanical engineer and you're a director, you, you basically, you have your fingers in every single project that mm. GM has. Um, but they, you know, they separate that out, um, by group too. So I was a body shop guy. Um, I, I, when I did, uh, when I was the director, I did body shop. Mm. Uh, and then as you get, yeah, all the welding, all the spot welding. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was my responsibility. That was the highest automated area. And then paint Mm. was second highest and, and GA there's very little automation. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think um, that that's that's basically the hierarchy. Now, once you get above director, your executive director, there's director for body, there's a director for GA, there's a director for paint, there's a director for powertrain, there's a director for stamping, mm-hmm. and then and then those directors report to an executive director, right? And and then that executive director has everything in General Motors, which I did that in in Europe. I I lived in Germany for three years and I ran GMs. uh, I was executive director and I had body paint, GA, press, everything under me. Wow. That's awesome. What is, what does the director position look like in, in, in uh, executive director? What are, what are those job titles? uh, What do they mean for like, let's say for instance, somebody who does understand what a, director level position is yeah i think with you know director level you're you're really strategizing um at a a much higher level you know how 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 are we going to to make sure that we are successful in putting all this equipment into facility a or b or c um you know how are we working um together with product because product engineering is a whole separate entity, right? And outside of manufacturing, how, how do we know what products um, are 
are going to what that what do they look like what kind of software are we going to need to make sure that we're tracking the right um types of products down through the line like in body shop there might be options and styles right you might be running a a, a chevy and then a cadillac and then a buick and of course you need to understand that you need to understand the differences between those so um, i think at the director level you're 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 paying attention more at a at a much higher level um and then and then you're feeding that down to your egms that are doing much you know much smaller level and then they're feeding that down to their to their engineers that are responsible for pieces and parts of of that system this episode of the manufacturing come up is sponsored by elite automation elite automation is focusing on amr technologies amrs are autonomous mobile robots used in your facility to transfer goods or products from one side of your facility to the other this is a super powerful tool and it's a new piece of technology that us as systems integrators can utilize as a tool to leverage your company to be more advanced than the next company and be able to automate systems that at one point were not able to be automated. If you have any AMR needs, you can reach us at rfq at eliteautomationusa.com. So like, let's say for it's like a new line, like the procurement of that new line, is that is that coming from director level? Are they the ones making the decision of like, hey, we're going to need to install a new line because we have a new capacity level that we need to reach or, or who's the yeah. in charge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's multiple directors, right? Because there's, there's a mechanical engineering director. There's a controls engineering director. Those two are typically getting together, talking with their EGM, strategizing over who, where they're going to place that work and how they're going to place that work. And um, yeah, so it, it, you're at, you're at that at that level it's now i can tell you when i was a seventh level i was making we ran our business different though right we didn't we didn't have we weren't doing turnkey we were doing tnm um and so when i was a seventh level back in the 90s i was i was hiring tnm companies to work for me tnm controls oh, companies really yeah yeah i made that decision not nobody else um and gotcha. and i decided who was going to do work for me and, mm -hmm. and, you know, now I was just doing a piece of my pie. So I might've been doing, you know, three, four $5 million worth of controls work. Um, but, but I made those decisions, you know, yeah. on, on who was doing that. Yeah. That's an interesting model to, to kind of take that inside and take it internally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it, it's, it's certainly, it, it, sometimes it helps me in the position I'm in now to understand yeah who, you know, at least from a General Motors perspective, who makes decisions, you can kind of extrapolate that into, into other companies. It's not, it's not really that different in other companies yeah. also. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, say for instance, like for us as a company, like one thing that I, I try to do as much as possible is, is keep things internal. Um, I don't know. It's like something about being like a hundred percent in control of your process, right? Like, if you if you go external and you do a turnkey system, it's a little bit more difficult to say, hey, that you know that PLC program is not written in the way that we want it written. Yeah. Or, or you find out later, and then yeah, this is very hard to control. Yeah. And so yeah, that definitely makes it a lot easier to have a tighter control on things. Yeah, hundred percent. 
Awesome. That well, and that was the difference of you know when we were doing T and M. I was a project manager, but I needed to I, like I helped the companies that I would hire. I would be a big part of. Uh, I became their checker. I was like, I don't even know if people check anymore nowadays because because things have changed so much. But but right. I actually went with a yellow pen, right, a highlighter, and I checked every number on every page and made sure that it went to the right location. And, you know, yep. that, that uh, yep. I'm, when I talk about a check, a real check highlighter, yeah. everything. <laughs> and again, yeah. I don't, I don't even know if we do that kind of detailed work because with AutoCAD uh, electric and, you know, programs like that, you don't, I don't think you need to yeah. do it as much now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's definitely something that kind of needs to be brought back more. Cause that was like one of the things that was very frustrating to me, like working for, uh, you know, working with a systems integrator was that we would do installs and, you know, somebody else would do like the panel build or something and, and you get out there and, and you're rewiring half a panel because whoever, whoever built your panel, like, Oh yeah. Right. You know, well, and it starts with the, sometimes it starts with those drawings, you know, if, yeah. if, if the drawings yeah. aren't checked, he, He's just building what's in your drawing, yeah. But I yeah. did that too. I went to the panel shops. I made sure that they were building exactly what was in the drawings, you know. So that was sort of the job was more yeah. like it's a project manager, right? I I, I yeah. didn't physically write code, but I checked it. I didn't yeah. physically do drawings, but I checked it. I made sure mm -hmm. that that everything was done properly before I sent it out for panel. So mm -hmm. I was I was. That, that's a controls engineer at a, at a big company like that. You know, a six, seven, six level, seventh level controls engineer is basically you're a PM. You're, you're checking gotcha. other people's work. Gotcha. So throughout, throughout your uh, career at GM, what you, you said you made it to, you know, uh, an executive level director when you was in Germany what what transpired next? Did you did you shift it back to the U.S. while you're still with GM, or what did what did that process look like? Yeah, two two thousand ten. I I finished up my assignment. I came back to GM. Uh, GM was a much different place because they went through a bankruptcy in two thousand nine. Mm. Um, I didn't experience that in Europe. We were actually booming in Europe, so mm. so I I didn't experience what everybody experienced here in the United States. Um, fortunately, right, because it was right. not a nice yeah. time. Uh, but yeah. uh, um, when I came back, they put me in as a launch manager slash uh, chief engineer um, for a program. So the chief engineers are responsible for all the money in a program. So a, mm. a a program might be a, you know, a billion dollars, somewhere between a half a million or half a billion and a billion. Um, and so I was responsible for all the manufacturing funding for stamping for, um, so basically all the groups. So I came out of, out of the controls group that ran body paint GA. There was also a mechanical group that ran body and a mechanical group that ran paint and a mechanical group that ran GA. All of those groups work sort of dotted line to the chief engineer, the, the manufacturing chief engineer and the manufacturing chief engineer doles out money for the project. Oh, you need 200 million for a body shop. Okay. Um, I'll give you 190 million instead of 200. <laughs> Here you yeah. go. All right. And, and, uh, and so the chief is, is at least at general motors, um, 
the chief is the chief. <laughs> and so I did that. I did that for a couple of years um, yes. when I came back. And then I, I, I also ran launch. I was the launch manager also. Then they liked how I ran the launch. So they asked me to write standards for launch for launches. So I, for about a year, I did standards on how to launch a vehicle. Um, mm. That was, that was kind of interesting working with all the other launch managers on that. And then uh, uh, final, final job, I, I went back to a plant um, to run their general assembly and, and said, hmm, I like engineering a lot better than, than operations. So <laughs> decided to leave General Motors. Um, my next level in, in, in manufacturing engineering um, was way up, right? I, I was really trying to become a vice president of, of engineering. And, oh. um, and to do that, I needed to go back through the plants and spend more time in the plants. And, uh, once I got there, I thought, you know what, this is, I don't really want to do this anymore. I want to be an engineer. So I left and, and went to a small engineering company, a small integrator. So that, that was my foray. That's what pushed me into, into working in as an integrator is really is because I like the technical side of the business. I like it a lot more than the operation side of the business. Mm. Where did, where did you transition to a small company called ESIS automation? Um, they were about 120 people at the time, maybe, I don't know, 20 million a year in, um, in automation that they were doing. And, and, uh, uh, the goal there was to just grow the company. They, they, they basically, they wanted to be a hundred million dollar company. They were a $20 million company. That's where I learned the plastic side of the business. So uh, they were only doing work in body shop and they were doing work in paint shop and they were gotcha. doing wor some work in GA. Um, and so I introduced them to powertrain, um, and we started doing powertrain work. Um, yeah. and then I also introduced them to the plastic side you know, all the tier ones that were doing plastics. Um, and GM did a little bit of plastics as well at, uh, at their facility down in uh, Nashville. But um, the, basically my job was to, to grow that company. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Well, what, what, what made you take that transition from GM to, to a company of that size and, and also integration? Well, one, it was, it, it, engineering right I, I wanted to get back to being an engineer but I also mm. like the business side of engineering I you know as a director I liked even chief engineer chief engineer was really a cool job um, because you're 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 really looking at big picture type stuff um, and so the fact that I was trying to grow that company be be an entrepreneur again right we talked about that yeah. earlier is mm. be an entrepreneur learn how to, you know, run the business, learn how to, to do sales. I had never done sales before. Now all of a sudden mm -hmm. I have to worry about sales and, and, you know, at General Motors, you don't worry about selling a car. Yeah. It's all yeah. taken care of for you. But, but here yeah. I had to sell and I had mm -hmm. to be able to sit in front of a customer and I had to, so you learn new things. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, and we were small, right. I, I didn't, I didn't have the whole 120 working for me. I just had a small group working yeah. for me. And, and, uh, you know, I put on all kinds of hats. I, I would be in the lab, 
you know, working with guys, I, I, I remember doing a drawing package. I did, I did a drawing package, like in the first six months that I was there, mm-hmm. I, was, I was close to VP and, uh, and here I am doing a drawing package, yeah. but it was kind of fun, right? It was good to get back and, and get, get the hands yeah. dirty. And, and, and in that position, I, you know, I had to put all kinds of hats on when I was sitting with a customer, they called me VP. You know, when I was talking to, to the guy that was working for me, I was, you know, shoe shine guy or, you know, go, go sweep right. the floor. I would sweep floors even during that yeah. time period because we just didn't have enough people to, to do what we needed to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so you just yeah. do whatever you, you put, whatever hat you need to put on. How was the, how was the transition from going from engineering to sales? I loved it. Um, Did you? Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I'm a kind of a people person, maybe, you know, even though I'm, I can geek out and really like to be geeky about, about the engineering, I do like to, to talk to people and I like to, to have a, a nice conversation. And, and I think that's the biggest part of sales is, you're just trying to talk to people and figure out how to help them. Um, You know, I don't, I never took the approach of selling. I just took the approach of how can I help you and what can we do to help you? Yeah. Yeah. I think also like you already had like an amazing career run. You're already working on major, major scale projects and, um, you know, communicating with vendors, communicating with the, you know, outsourced engineers and and then also your internal teams as well like i'm sure there's a ton of communication that went on with 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 the positions that you had and especially for yourself where you you know was ended up landing more of like that executive type of position um i think most of the i mean a huge portion of that's communication yeah yeah it's all at the end of the day what makes the world go around communication Um, yeah. if, if we all sit in our cubicles and, and put our nose to the grindstone work, will get done, but it's probably not going to get done. Well, it's probably going to get done inefficiently. It's probably going to, when you go, cause you never do the whole thing by yourself, right? You, you're still even a controls engineer. You're, you're working with three other controls engineers and each one's got different sections and different portions. And, you know, so you're, you're, you have to be able to communicate in this, in this industry. It, it is, uh-huh. it, in fact, we, everybody that we hire, you know, if, if, if you like to work by yourself, this is the wrong industry for you. You, you really have to be able to communicate to mechanical engineers, to other controls, engineers, to PMs, to the customer, to everybody, you know? Yeah, absolutely. What, <clears throat> Your position there did now did JR end up buying them? They did. Uh, JR okay. bought Asus. However, I wasn't there when they bought them. I I took oh, really? a short yeah I took a short stint at Amazon. And really? Okay. So my my old boss at Amazon or I mean at General Motors was an executive vice president for Amazon, and he called me up one day and he said, "Craig, there's there's this opening that they're trying to fill in Amazon." So Amazon had they really had not put any robots in ever. Um, Mm. and, and so they're Kiva robots, but they're not robots. They're little AGVs, right? They're AMRs. Um, and so, you know, they were starting to look at six axis robots to do different tasks. And he said, Craig, they're, they're, they, they want somebody to run their automation group. And, and I can't think anyone better than you, you want to come Mm. in. It's, it's a global role. And, and so, um, I loved what I was doing. I didn't, I did I wasn't looking for a job. Um, but 
it's yeah. Amazon, right? Yeah. You know, this is Amazon. What the heck? I can't, I would kick myself today if I didn't take that job. Yeah. If I didn't go yeah, you try, have to try it out, right? Yeah. And so I told the owners, you know, I, I really feel bad, but, but this is Amazon. <laughs> I got to yeah. go see what this is all about. And, and so I did. And, uh, um, I only was there 18 months. I didn't stay long. My, they allowed me to live in, in Michigan. That, that was home at that point. And, uh, but my office was in Seattle. I was commuting every week, mon- Monday, Monday morning on a plane and, and Thursday night on the wow. red eye home every week. Wow. Um, plus going all over the world on installation. So I was in Germany yep. and I was in Spain and I was all over the country, you know, California, New Jersey, you name it. Wow. I was never home. And, and I knew that taking the job and I thought, well, you know, my, my youngest child was like a junior in high school. And, and you know, when you, your kids start to get that old, they, they don't, you know, <laughs> they don't really care if you're around anymore anyhow. And, and so I thought, well, what the heck, I'll, I'll go do this. And, you know, it's not going to make a difference on, on mm-hmm. anything, but it made a difference. Um, yeah, yeah. my, my son was a big sports nut and he played a lot of sports and I couldn't stand mm-hmm. missing that stuff. And I was always missing his games cause I was never home. And, and, um, and so I, I said, I, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I thought I could, but I can't. And, and so, right. um, I left, I called the owners of ESIS. They said, well, it's not ESIS anymore. We're JR automation. <laughs> we got bought. Um, but we'll go talk to, they were still there. The owners were still running ESIS at that point. And, uh, Hey, we'll go talk to, to, you know, the CEO at JR. And of course he brought me in and they brought me in, in a sales position. They, I, I, I knew business development. Um, they knew yeah. what my track record was. Yeah. Um, previously, uh, for ESIS. And so they brought me in as new business development. Um, and then that turned into, uh, senior vice president of sales and marketing and then sales, senior vice president of sales and marketing turned into CEO. Gotcha. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Wild ride, huh? Yeah. Wow. Huh. I, I mean, realistically, I mean, you can't think of a much better, uh, career run. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, t- I tell you, I feel the same way. I, you know, you, you, you uh, and I, I, at this point, it's that I, it's the culmination of a career. You know, there is no, yeah. there is no next step. I, I love this company. I love the people that, I, that work here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of it as family. Um, as you can tell throughout my whole career, it's never been about me. It's, it's about, the job and the people and the, and so here, you know, I just feel like, I feel like I'm the dad of 2000 people (laughs) and and they're, they're all part of my family. Um, this is how I feel. I have a couple more questions for you before we get off here today. Um, one of them is kind of personal to self with, with the, with bringing somebody like you on to to a company that you know, you've worked at, at GM for so many years, you also worked, uh, you know, with with the company before in a sales role. What what do you think the the impact is on the company hiring you for like the sales process? Maybe I need to reword that differently. Yeah, um, yeah. How much? How, I guess how much like 
benefit or impact is bringing like somebody like yourself with your type of career run, bringing you in into the company. And, uh, oh, well, I think tr- I'm tremendous, but, right? Because first off, I come with tons of credibility, um, having 24 years at General Motors, having held vice president roles. I, I can tell you, I you know we don't get every job right at, at JR. It, it's impossible to get every job right. I wish we did. I, you know, and, and the engineers would like to get every job right, but, but sometimes you get into some situations where they're not. And, and, you know, many, many times, um, that's when my background kicks in of, you know, Hey, one, we're going to get this job done, right. It's going to get done right. Two, you know, whoever, I need to talk to at, at that company. And I've talked to CEOs of major companies and I give them my background and I tell them what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to do. And, and I, and then sometimes I have to tell them how they got us into the situation to begin with. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. it's not our fault. It's, it's, it's mutual, right? It's never just one person typically, but, mm-hmm. but um, you know, and so having the, the background and the credibility and the fact that I held some of those larger positions, um, mm-hmm. I think that, that they listen, they listen and, and, um, and I'm never really hesitant to, to get on those calls. I hate them. Anyone that says they love those yeah. calls is crazy, but, um, but yeah. I, I'm never hesitant. Um, because yeah. in my mind, that's the only way I earn my money. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm helping my team, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. so I think, incredible to get somebody with that kind of experience you know yeah Yeah, i mean the the thought that's in my mind is like obviously well you know that that at some point in time we i would like to bring on individuals that have like track records like that into our company um and, and with making that decision obviously it's a pretty big decision because i'm sure somebody somebody with your your credibility that uh that's a pretty big salary package, right? Something that you have to really make, uh, take some time to make a really good decision on it. But on the other hand, it's like for us as a company, like, you know, one of the things is us being, us striving and having our, our ambitious goals that we have that I know it's not going to be just me. Right. Yeah. I've not had, I've not had 20 years at Ford experience. Right. I'm gonna have to bring those people on, uh, uh, to our, to our company, that, that have worked at Ford, GM, have worked at Chevy, you know what I mean, for all these yep. years and and be able to bring in their knowledge, their ecosystems and uh, be able to apply it to, to our current processes yeah. and how we operate as a company. Yeah, I think um, I, th- I think I have hired many people still that I worked with at General Motors into JR. Um, I think that most of them have worked out really well and they do what I need. Um, sometimes, you know, typically you're picking guys up near, near the end of their career. Uh Um, sometimes that can be a problem, right. Of, of people are nearing the end of their career and, and they're, they're not, they, maybe they don't have the ambitions that they used to have. Most of them yeah. do because they got to where they were because they did have ambition. But, but yeah. some every once in a while you you get you make a mistake. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's the only the only and I don't know how to spot that mistake. You know I don't know how right. to to say mm, this guy's going to really 
kill it for me and this guy's not. It, that's all yeah. part of the interviewing process and all those types of mm-hmm. things. But but even then, I've like I said, I've brought people on and said, ah, oh, man, I really thought this one was going to help in this way and they haven't, you know. Um, so it, it, yeah. that's possible too. That, it, it's, yeah. The other thing is um, the transition from being customer to being um, supplier is, mm-hmm. is sometimes very, very difficult yeah. um, for those people to, to make that leap. It, it wasn't yeah. easy for me. The first year, uh, you know, I had people coming in from GM that used to work for me mm-hmm. several levels below me. And now they're coming in and, and, and they're telling me what, you know, what I need to do. And, uh, yeah. On a project management level. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, um, I don't have a huge ego. I, you know, but yeah. some people do. And, and so you have to kind of watch that too, that yeah. ego, because at the end of the day, there are customers. And, mm-hmm. and so you have to treat them with respect even even when you think that they don't deserve it, you have to treat them with respect, you know. Yeah. And and um, and and so, yeah, you got to be careful with that too. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's. I do think as a whole, it's very good to have like people coming from that industry experience, no matter what level, even if it's just like PLC or robot programmer, like coming from that industry and then coming into like system integration, just because it just brings more skill set oh, into yeah. that sector of the industry. Yep. You yeah, know, yeah, for sure. That's like a big thing for me. So I've done system integration my entire career. So like, there's a huge portion of me that I really wish I did. I had more of a manufacturing background. So like that way, I was there on a daily basis, seeing seeing more of the problems that that are actually happening on the on the sh- on the you know uh, shop floor or assembly line, uh, plant floor, I guess you could say, um, <clears throat> and seeing seeing more of those things and 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 got to be exposed to them and uh, experience them because like. It's it's affected like my sales process, right? It's hard for me to, it's it's. Oh, I think I'm back. Okay. Yeah, it's harder for me to say like these are the pain points of my customer, right? Because I didn't I didn't operate on you the manufacturing floor. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah. you know all of my experience or all of my knowledge from that is you know, I have to ask the questions, right? Yeah. What are some issues that you deal with? What are you know, um, and which I yeah, think. So like, I think the customer appreciates that as well, right? I, I have to ask those those questions, even you know, yeah. because it's not the same. If I'm if I'm talking to somebody in the pharmaceutical industry, it it their their pain points sometimes are much different than than yeah. you know GM. So I think um, I think they appreciate that. I, I so yeah, what, does it help you? Because you want to be able to step in their shoes. You want to think like they mm-hmm. think. Um, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I save you <laughs> from, from the issues that you had in yeah. the past? Right. And I think that that goes a long way, but, uh, but I also think that, that they're very appreciative of, of, you know, having the dialogue of what, what is it that, that, um, ails you, right. What, what, yeah. how can I help you? They, they want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can tell a tremendous difference in, in like our, uh, especially our, our, uh, our quote conversion, huge difference on like just calling the customer more often and just saying, Hey, like, 
you know, where are we at with this? What's holding you back? Like, what's, you know, what can I do to help out and move this process along? Like, um, just being more vocal on those, on those topics of like, I mean, have doubled, doubled our, our conversion rate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. Well, and it's because they know you care, right? They know you care. So before we sign off here, do you have any last valuable points to add to the audience? Hmm. No, I think, I think I covered it. I, you know, it's hopefully it came across as you don't get here because you just because you want to get here, <laughs> you got to work your butt off the whole way and no different than, than, uh, than, you know, starting your own company. You, you, you're not successful just because you want to be successful. You're successful because you do everything in your power to be successful. And, uh, and I, that's, that's the, that's life in general. Nothing comes easy. Everything is, is difficult and, and, you know, you need to go, you need to go work hard every day. Um, if you want to get somewhere and, and, and there are people that don't, right. There's, there's a whole lot of people that say, Hey, I just, I want to live a a more leisurely lifestyle and they only want to work 40 hours. That's okay too. Nothing wrong with that. But, but don't expect to be a CEO and definitely don't expect to own your own company. If, uh, if you're, if that's what you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't talk, I don't try, I try not to talk on it too much, but like one of the pushes for starting my own company is I was that guy that worked 80 hour weeks and the owner of the company would work 40 hours a week and or 30 hours a week. And wow. you know, uh, yeah. And so I'm like, you know, you, see, you know, you see that all the employees see that the culture was just terrible in that, in that sense of like, this product's like a week behind and this guy's going home early and he's also a programmer too. So like, you could be out here physically helping us like program this line and and you're not. Uh, So, you know, yeah, I mean, that's surprising to hear that an owner was taking that. I mean, I just almost unheard of. He had to be, had to have a few years of a success to to get to that point. But yeah, I, that particular situation, what it was, because I've seen, I analyzed it for years before I quit. Um, because I, you know, I was, I was, I was the type of person I was okay with sticking that, sticking it out with the company my entire career. Yeah. I was one of those individuals. And, uh, so I, I, you know, I stuck it out and I analyzed like, why is, you know, you know, why is the culture like this? Why is he operating in this way? And what I found was is he, you know, for the, this particular instance is he did, uh, his company was basically founded on, he didn't want to work a lot of hours at the company he was with, right. They were making him work 80 hour weeks. So he said, okay, you know what, I'm going to quit. I'm going to work less hours and get paid more and provide them the same service. So he worked, he worked as a contractor for the same company for like 10, 20 years, I think. Right. And then hired a couple of people to help him out, uh, on the programming and then, um, hired another person who had kind of the vision to grow the company. Okay. And so now he's pushing for capital projects and, and things like that. And this is the exact same time pretty much that I came along. I came along six months after that. And uh, and so, you know, it's just a founder of a company that didn't really have the ambition to have a big company. I think, sure, they would love to have the money that comes along with a big company, but they didn't really have the the vision and the desire yeah. to 
truly operate something something massive and and worth you know worthwhile uh, yeah i tell my kids that hey again nothing nothing wrong with that just don't complain <laughs> you know don't if, yeah. if if that's your if that's what your desire is then you're doing mm-hmm. good you, you did yeah. great right don't complain that you know oh shit we're only three million in sales and we want to be six million in sales don't complain about that yeah. you know because that takes hard work yeah absolutely Absolutely. Craig, I'm super glad to have you on today. Oh, it was a pleasure, uh, Malachi. Fascinated with your with your your career run. I mean, just remarkable. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be watching back on this episode again. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I enjoyed it. And and I can, please keep posting on LinkedIn. I love your posts. Uh, Thank they're, you. They're great. So Thank you. I appreciate it. Is there uh, is there a place where people can find you if they want to reach you? Uh, yeah, I try to keep that a little bit private, but, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, right? I mean, you know, no problem. You can, you can link in with me and you can follow me. I, I, I post quite a bit too. I, I, but maybe a little less than, uh, um, a little less than you and not as, not as interesting. Right. But, but you'll see, I'll, I'll share my thoughts periodically on, on LinkedIn on different things. So, um, I think that's probably the best way. Gotcha. I'm sure whatever thoughts you share, they're viable. Ah, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> thank you, Craig. I appreciate your time. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Cool. That was awesome. Oh, he left.